Yeah, we uh, started in Revelation 17 last week, and uh, it was about Babylon, religious Babylon. And uh, you can uh, probably um, be amazed by the significance of Babylon that's mentioned in the Bible quite a quite a bit. Matter of fact, do you know what the second most mentioned city is after Jerusalem? I set you up, didn't I? Got the answer already? It was Babylon. The second most mentioned city after Jerusalem of all cities that are mentioned in the Bible. There, there it is. And it has two whole chapters in Revelation. Two full chapters. And of course there's much more. And you think of Daniel and a lot of other places where it's mentioned. Peter even mentioned Babylon in his epistles. So... The history of Babylon, and we covered uh, some of this last week, but it begins at creation because the Garden of Eden was actually in the area where the Tigris-Euphrates River is at. It's what was known as later on as the Fertile Crescent. The Garden of Eden probably was somewhere in that area. And who was present at the fall besides Eve? even Adam, who was there, Satan was. And that was at the fall of mankind. In this same area is what is later to be known as Babylon at that time. And uh, today we know that's around the modern area of Iraq. Everybody familiar with Iraq? A lot of things happening there. That's all in that same area. Then there was a flood. And we know in Genesis we see that, and uh, Noah and his sons and uh, their wives populated the earth, and they really kind of populated in one area as mankind's population grew, and it became the uh, area known as the land of Shinar. Have you heard of that? It means to repeat it means yearly, year, a cycle. Uh, you can think of the, uh, I guess, a yearly cycle of the monthly astrology. You can kind of think of that. Astrological wheel. And the gods were conceived at this place. The Tower of Babel, the great mystery religions that got their start was right there. And uh, they wanted to have their own gods. They wanted to have their own heaven and earth. Nimrod was the leader of this whole pack, and uh, he was known as a mighty hunter. His name means, ready for this, let us revolt. And so they did, because the people were not listening to God. They were rebelling against Him. He was the one leading them. He is the manifestation of the rebellion against God. So he built Babel and a bunch of other cities, and we looked into that in Genesis uh, 10 and 11. You get all of that uh, familiarity of what we know as, as Babylon, Babel, the Tower of Babel went up, and that's where idolatry became the king because they defied the one true God. 
And uh, they were really reaching to their gods. It's not that they were going to try to build a building all the way up into heaven. But that was their temple and that's where they worshipped. They made their rules, they made their gods, and that's really what it was. It's their own gods. And of course, God judged them because of this. He had told them to be fruitful and multiply and go over all the earth. And they did not. And so He judges them. And on the root of all, uh, I guess you could say, paganism, it is spread all across the world. False religion as people spread out and they're different now new languages, new cultures that come out of it. And the stories that come out of these religions, they're all similar. And uh, that's part of this mystery. Abraham is associated with Babylon. You say, what? Well, Abraham, before he knew God, uh, actually was a pagan. His family were pagans, and they had come from that generation that uh, would stem back to the time of Nimrod. They were in that area. Remember, he came from Ur of the Chaldees, Chaldean Babylon, same area. And then God said, rise, get up, go to this land that uh, He was going to show them. And that's where He was to be heading. And uh, He did. He obeyed God. He uh, became a believer. He believed in God and it was accounted to Him as righteousness. But He came out of that background. Later on, in about well, 600 B.C., there is an empire called the Babylonian Empire. Nebuchadnezzar headed it. And we're all familiar with that uh, empire. They had all of those same kind of religious teachings, uh, mystery teachings and such. They had their own belief in the gods. And of course, that's in that same area again. And uh, that has proceeded to be felt in our world today. Quite an influence that Babylon was. And so that's why we see in Revelation 17 and 18, Babylon exists all the way up to through the seven bowls as Christ is getting ready to come back. Fallen, fallen is Babylon. Babylon goes back to the false religions, folks. And that's what God hates so much. Anything that is false and is not honoring to Him. So, it's kind of interesting. That's kind of what we looked at last week uh, as it said in bold letters on this uh, woman's forehead. A name was written, Babylon the Great mother of harlots and the abominations of the earth. And this is what God judges. And uh, they've always been around these mystery religions and you can think of the Greek mythologies, the Babylonian mythologies, Roman mythologies. They're all related and uh, that's kind of what we were associating with that. Paganism then went from Babylon to what we see in Revelation where it is Pergamum. Pergamus. It's a city that became the capital 
of the Roman Empire as far as paganism is concerned. Paganism became Christianized. Okay, we're going to take a break right here and go back to the middle of Today is the Day where Penny can help us because she wanted that song really badly. <laughs> so, hey, it's different. Let's just do something different. Let's go back and do those same songs. My voice is gone. Okay. But... uh so the idea is here, paganism became Christianized. Say, how did that happen? Well, it went from Babylon, all those teachings, to a capital in Rome where it was now known as the same stuff. They had their priest and they all taught that. They believed it. And then later it moved to guess where? Rome. And it's interesting to follow all that. Rome was already paganized. They didn't have any problem at all. And now it became the seat of this world religions and the pagans. And I think that's very characteristic of what happened to the church because you see in the 300s AD there was uh, one name as... Constantine, and he saw a sign from God, he thought, and uh, saw the cross, he got victory, and then as a result of that, um, he made all of the Roman world, the whole empire, now Christian. Whether they wanted to or not, they were all Christians now, and they would be baptized. Well, that wasn't too odd for any of those religions, because they did baptisms too. There were a lot of things that they did that Christians did. There were a lot of things that the pagans did that the Christians didn't. Well, what the Christians did at that time is just adopt many of the things that were in the world religions and just brought them in. And, of course, a lot of the, the, the holy days were just adopted. They were lined up. And so, therefore, and I... And I, I I'm glad we have like Christmas and Easter and uh, all of those, even those holy holidays. Holly, holy days is what they were. But they really coincided with what the pagans did. And uh, But I don't go against saying, hey, we shouldn't have Christmas. You know, obviously, you know, we can celebrate Christ's birthday. But that's really how all of that originated. Of course, then we talked about the, you know, the rosary and the mother and the child. The mother is over the child, that being equal to Mary and Jesus, only she kind of mothers over him. And that picture, and you can go on and on, the incenses, the gaudiness in the temple or in the church, you know, at that time, the big buildings that they built, all of this happened. In the 300s, 400s, 500s, as time went on, Roman Catholicism really got established along in the 500s. And uh, so, and they brought Latin in as their official language of the church, and uh, it was really kind of the modern language of the, of the world. Everything was written in Latin. Anyway, you can see the comparisons. Uh, chapter 17, first seven verses depict the, really the characteristics that we see in Roman Catholicism. You can say, is this woman here, this beast, is this Roman Catholicism? 
in the very end times and I say yes and all the other religions because they will combine together. There will be a lot of tainted Roman Catholicism quote church in this but along with all the other stuff and uh, excuse me if I'm repeating a lot what I did last week but this gets us into the mode of where we're heading here in 17. Mystery Babylon is all false religions. And verse 8 through 18 now is going to give us a description or really the answer and interpretation of the first six verses. Because verse 7 is kind of a middle verse here to attach the first part to the second part. Let's read it. And the angel said to me, Why do you wonder? I will tell you the mystery of the woman and of the beast that carries her, which has the seven heads and the ten horns. That's where we left off last week and our interpretation comes. Let's take a moment to, uh, to read this, or to pray. Let's read first and we'll pray. The beast that you saw was and is and is not and is about to come up out of the abyss and go to destruction. And those who dwell on the earth whose name has been, not been written in the book of life from the foundation of the world will wonder what they see, the beast that he was and is not and will come. Here is the mind which has wisdom. The seven heads are seven mountains on which the woman sits. And there are seven kings, five have fallen. One is, the other has not yet come, and when he comes he must remain a little while. The beast which was and is not is himself also an eighth and is one of the seven, and he goes to destruction. The ten horns which you saw are ten kings which have not yet received a kingdom, but they will receive authority as kings with the beast for one hour. These have one purpose, and they give their power and authority to the beast. These will wage war against the Lamb, and the Lamb will overcome them, because He is Lord of lords and King of kings, and those who are with Him are the called and chosen and faithful. And He said to me, The waters which you saw where the harlot sits are peoples and multitudes and nations and tongues. And the ten horns which you saw, and the beast, these will hate the harlot, and will make her desolate, and naked, and will eat her flesh, and will burn her up with fire. For God has put in their hearts to execute His purpose by having a common purpose, and by giving their kingdom to the beast until the words of God will be fulfilled. The woman whom you saw is the great city, which reigns over the kings of the earth. Let's pray. Father, we look into your word. We ask for wisdom. We know that this is not easy and not one that we can interpret and say exactly what's going to happen on everything, but you've given us enough interpretation here to know the deep things of the future. Things that People that do not know you have no idea what is going to happen. And Lord, thank you for our truth, and may this truth penetrate our hearts, and may it make us desire to bring truth of the gospel 
to the lost who really need to know this news. In Jesus' name, Amen. You know what? I'm going to try to find my bullets. There's one right here. Now, in um, verse 8, it says, here it is, here's the interpretation. The beast that you saw was, is not, it's about to come up. How the abyss go to destruction? Everybody knows who the beast is. Beast is the Antichrist, right? We've already seen that. We saw it in chapter 13 and elsewhere in other passages. Uh, definitely here in 17. As it's been mentioned, this chapter is dealing with the woman and the beast. So now it starts talking about uh, the beast. And what you get is really a... Um, a resurrection here. Because it says the beast that you saw was and is not and is about to come up out of the abyss. Go to destruction. So was, then is not, then it's like comes back to life. We're talking about the Antichrist is going to be ruling the world and then something happens. And I really can't tell you for sure whether this is a real death and real resurrection. It could be. I can tell you that God is in control of it all. Satan does not give life to anyone. But in God's purpose and in His plan, He could resurrect him. Or it is faked. And I tend to believe that. It doesn't matter. Because it will deceive the whole world. As it says in uh, the next verse to come here. Uh, if you go to Revelation 13, verse 3 and 4, it says, um, I saw one of his heads as if it had been slain. Now remember, the, uh, the Antichrist and that system actually... Uh, has multiple kings, leaders in that kingdom. One of them, and it's is as if one of his heads is, is slain and his fatal wound was healed. And the whole earth was amazed and followed after the beast. So if you saw somebody come back to life, you would say, Ooh, this is one that I need to know more about. I want to follow this guy. Well, if you're Antichrist, it means you're going to do a lot of things and a lot of power is going to be displayed because Christ did something of the same nature. What's, what's one of the, well, really the chief uh, principle of Christianity as far as the hinge which everything lies upon. The, the death, burial, resurrection of Jesus, right? So an Antichrist is trying to mimic or do this or God is doing this too, allowing Satan, Antichrist, to put on this kind of performance to die and then to resurrect. Who knows? It might be like three days later. I don't know. 
Whatever it is, the people are convinced absolutely that he's dead. But remember the technology that could be done at that time and the lying signs and wonders that the devil and Antichrist has and, and the false prophet. So with all those in line, we know we're, we're pretty close. You know, you get commentators, you know, back and forth on this. So you can favor one or the other and it's okay. We don't know because it's in the future. But we do know it's, it's dealing with some kind of a death. Real or fake, that's what it is. Uh, if you look at 12, chapter 13, verse 12, and he exercises all the authority of the first beast in his presence, and he makes the earth and those who dwell in it to worship the first beast. This is the false prophet. He makes pe people worship him whose fatal wound was healed. He performs great signs so that he even makes fire come down out of heaven to the earth in the presence of men. So there's quite deceptions that are done and there's quite powers that are given here, signs that uh, Antichrist and the false prophet do perform. So that's the idea of was, is not, and will come up out of the abyss. I think when it says come up out of the abyss that you actually have demons or Satan himself come into him totally and take over. You've got Satan walking in a body here. It's almost equal to that. Or this demon, demons that come in. And he comes up out of the abyss and goes to destruction or perdition. And uh, so we have uh, perdition. You think of destruction and you think something that just burns up. Destroyed and it's not here anymore. No, when, when Satan ultimately does what he does, he will go to the lake of fire. The Antichrist will be in the lake of fire. That's perdition. That's the kind of destruction. They will continue on eternally to exist, to have a body that can take that torture, actually live in it and still survive forever. So, that is pretty incredible that what happens, and it says those who dwell on the earth whose name has not been written in the book of life from the foundation of the world. Have we seen that before? If you're not in the book, here's what's going to happen. You will wonder when they see the beast that he was and is not and will come. In Revelation, you also see in chapter 1, Jesus was, was not, and then is to come. That is a, that's His death and a resurrection, isn't it? And there's a duplication. The Antichrist is going to deceive people to make them think that He is the Messiah. Christianity has a convincing proof. And it stands boldly before the whole world through the last 2,000 years of the resurrection. And the documents that have been written of it are very accurate. They should convince people. But, for the most part, they really don't. But, this, for all the people who are not believers, will believe that He comes back to life. What they see, I don't know, but it sure looks real. People are easily deceived, aren't they? 
And I think in our world today, people are just being deceived right and left by huge millions and millions of numbers. But the unbelieving world, they are wondering, but it says the names who have not been written in the book of life, the ones who have been written in the book of life that are living at that time, that came believers during the great tribulation and are still living, they will not be fooled. The elect will not be deceived. It may get to the point that they could almost be, but God will not allow that, will He? So there is verse 8. That's a long verse, isn't it? Verse 9 through 15 then, I think, is where the interpretation really starts coming out. Here is the mind which has wisdom. Pretty easy to understand. He says, okay, here's, here's the answer to the riddle. Okay, here it is. The seven heads are seven mountains on which the woman sits. That's interesting. Seven mountains, and many throughout the years, especially in Reformed theology, have believed this to be the Roman Empire or the Roman Catholic Church, the city of Rome. And I don't necessarily differ with that. I'll expand on it though, but Rome during the time of John was known as the city of seven hills. It's always been known as that, still known as that today. City of seven hills. This woman, this harlot, uh, has the, and then the seven heads, right? It's all represented that. And of course, you can go back earlier in the chapter and then other places there. Uh, this religious Babylon sits at Rome on the seven mountains. That's one interpretation. And I'm not going to be dogmatic on it. I'm just going to say for whatever it's worth, could be. I've always held to that, but I, I come to a lot of could-be's as I get older of saying, yes, that could be. Uh, it comes right back uh, those seven heads are seven mountains on which the woman sits. And they are seven kings. Now you get seven kings, which are the seven heads. Which we'll go back and explain. We've considered a couple of times coming up to here. But we use this verse to help interpret that. During man's tenure on earth, there's been really... Like seven empires of the will be. It's been six. And throughout history or church history, just go back and look at history. Here's what you have you have the Egyptian Empire, you have the Assyrian Empire, then you have in Daniel, who gets the dream? It's interpreted as number three is the Babylonian Empire. Statue of gold, right? And in that dream also, after the Babylonians, they are conquered by the Medes and the Persians. Four. And then, after that, you have the uh, Greek Empire. And then you have the Roman Empire. That's six, right? There is one to come. And I think uh, John has made this pretty understandable for us. Five have fallen 
Five empires have gone down. Okay, let's go back through it again. Who are they? It's the Egyptians, the Syrians, the Babylonians, the Medes, Persians, the Greeks. What's the next one? The Roman Empire. Oh, well that was still existing. He knows it very well because they're the ones who are who have ex exiled him. And he's a prisoner there on the Isle of Patmos. That's the Roman Empire. So five have fallen. One still is right now, as he says. And the other one has not yet come. And according to Daniel, there is a revival of the Roman Empire dealing with the, the two legs, or you think of the two feet, right? That have the ten toes, the iron mixed with clay, uh, a European Union. That's how many have interpreted that. Or it could be ten, and, and that's where we get into the ten as we move on down here, and I'll just say it. It's the ten toes are representing the ten kings that are to come, okay, in this revived Roman Empire. Or the world empire leaders where you have a region of North America and then South America and then maybe, let's say, Russia or Asia, Chinese and, uh, you know, you, uh, did I say Europe? I should say that. And Africa. You, you could divide all those up and there's world leaders all underneath the Antichrist. And that's where your, your ten leaders at that time would be. So we've not been confused yet, right? We're still doing good? Uh, verse 11, oh, at the end of verse 10, it says, the other has not yet come, and when he comes, he must remain a little while. That's the Antichrist. That means he's not going to be here for very long, is he? It's just a little while. Verse 11, the beast which was and is not and is himself, there we have that again, also an ape. You can say, wait a minute. An eighth, and is one of the seven, and he goes to destruction. Now that's confusing. We've kind of gotten the six, and then the seventh we got, and you can say, well, he's the seventh, but it, he's an eighth also. What he's just mentioned that he was, he is not, and then will be. That means he's got one ruling time before he dies. And then he comes back resurrected, and now, guess what? He's an, it's another kingdom, or king, or of, of the whole world, the eighth. He is the seventh, and he is the eighth. Death, resurrection. I think it's very possible it's the time whenever he goes in to the temple, proclaims himself to be God, and all the people now are to worship Him. Before that, throughout the first part of the tribulation, who are the people worshiping? The idolatry, remember? And even the false prophet gets everybody to worship in this uh, religion. A one world religion that is Babylon or the woman that's in the capital city of Rome. Are we? Are you with me so far? Are we doing okay? All right. So that's where we're at. Um, it says that he's the seventh and he's the eighth. There is a resurrection. Then twelve. The ten horns which you saw are ten kings who have not yet received a kingdom. They don't have that. 
Then it'll happen in our time, but they will. They'll receive it from who? The Antichrist. And we'll explain those ten horns. Then Daniel mentions the ten toes. Revive Roman Empire or the leaders that are given leadership and authority underneath the Antichrist. And so they receive authority with the beast for one hour. Verse 13, these have one purpose. What's their purpose? They give their power and authority to the beast. So they have power and authority as the rulers, but really, who's really ruling the roost? Antichrist. And so we go to verse 14. These will wage war against the Lamb. And the Lamb will overcome them because He is Lord of lords and King of kings. And those who are with Him are the called and chosen and faithful. And everybody says Amen to that, right? I love that one. I love that verse because we're going to be coming back with Him. That's talking about the very moment that He comes back. Did you know that we have, we are really dealing with the seven bow judgments? And we're right at the end of the bow judgments. What He's saying, there's going to be judgment on all false religion. And it will never exist again, ever. Praise God. That's the idea. And that's why... To us Christians, this is a great triumph. This is the end of it all. Finally, they will be judged. And they're going to try to defeat the Lamb. Can you imagine trying to take on the Lamb of God? It's impossible. They're going to beat God. They're going to try to destroy it. Here's our chance. He's coming back. Now we can do it. And with 15... And he said to me, the waters which you saw where the harlot sits, that's the woman, or religious Babylon, where that woman sits are peoples and multitudes and nations and tongues. That's easy, isn't it? That's the whole world. The whole world is deceived by this Babylonish religion. With Roman Catholicism and even Protestantism, the people who cave, they'll all be a part of this. And they'll persecute the ones who are true Christians. They will martyr them. That's the idea. And it will be religious people that does this. Now, 16, the ten horns which you saw in the beast, and here's where it turns. Will hate the harlot, the woman, the false religion. All of a sudden, they will use that harlot. The harlot will use them as the church state and will make her desolate and naked and will eat her flesh and will burn her up with fire. All along we've been seeing this great triumphant false religious Babylonian system in all of her splendor. We're not amazed by that splendor, but people are. They like the gaudiness of it all. With all the scarlet and purple and majestic colors and all the things that go with that that allures people to this. And all of a sudden the Antichrist and his rulers underneath him turn against their religion. 
Because Antichrist wants it for himself. This is the best way that Satan can finally get his ultimate desire. I want to be like the Most High. Right? I will be like Him. Well, this is the ultimate. All along, he's been doing pretty good through this tribulation, and now he says, this is it. And all the false religions, he said, forget that. This is all about me. And he is so possessed, this Antichrist, who is a real person and a real body, but he's possessed totally by Satan, by the enemy. And so the religion there is torn up, desolate, naked, flesh-eaten, burned up, whatever that means is total destruction. That's the end of it. It didn't last too long as one world religion, but actually it's lasted all the way back to Babylon, hasn't it? It's always been here. That's the problem. It's still deceiving people. It's still deceiving, quote, Christians. Even deceiving Christians. People will be wrapped up in that, won't they, very easily. But if you're God's elect, you will not. Verse 17, and, and here is why all this happens. It's say, well, why does God allow all this to happen? Verse 17 tells us, folks, for God has put it in their hearts to execute His purpose. Do you get that? Are you saying this? By having a common purpose. He gives them the desire and the purpose to destroy the world religion and to do everything that they've done through all the tribulation and now the great tribulation and through all the judgments all the way through the bold judgments and God put it in their hearts to execute His purpose. And I know most people are not going to touch that verse with a ten foot pole. And if I was in my life and guide or whatever that was, the little quarterlies that I used to get in Sunday school, what they did is they would they would give you a chapter for that week and there would be certain verses that were not in the lesson. They would just skip it. This would be one because unless you know God, you would say, how can God do such a thing? To execute His purpose, having common purpose, by giving their kingdom to the beast. It's His purpose that there be a beast, that the kingdoms are His. Until the words of God will be fulfilled. It's about the purpose of God. And you see, He doesn't author, but He ordains it. And there is a difference. He's not the author of sin. He does not have anything to do with sin Himself. But, it is His purpose that there be a judgment like this. That there has been what has happened throughout world history. Because the answer goes further than our minds can even expand to. But we have to believe this. This is God's will. And uh, it is tough. This is a tough verse, isn't it? But when you say it, you can go, 
God does have all this in control, doesn't He? He's not surprised. It's part of the grand story that He has designed. One day we will have glorified minds and we might understand this a little bit better. All I know is that I know that I can understand grace and mercy and love a lot better. I can understand why a little bit why He would send His Son to die for me. I know that without a second chance, and that's Christ Himself, I would have done the same thing as Satan would have. And all the rest of those angels that came demons also did. They wanted worship. He wanted worship. We would be so full of pride. We would be like Eve was with a mind that actually was expanded much further than what we have right now. I kid you not. She might not have known of all these things that are going to happen in the future that we know, but their minds were without sin before. Can you imagine the thinking that they could have had? It's much better than what we have. Well, ours got tainted by sin. Sin tainted everything. But I can say, God has a purpose in all this. And He does it without sin. But He allows, and it's in His purpose, that Satan does sin, demons sin, all of mankind, all of us, we've sinned. Minds were darkened. Satan darkened them even that much more. And then one day, Christ comes in. Holy Spirit comes in. Because of God's will and purpose, He opens our minds, our blindness, so that we can see salvation and then the deep things of God that we've just been reading on. I know that Revelation is long and it's very tedious in judgments. But God is stressing the fact that He triumphs. And for us as believers, it's great joy. It's not heavy for us. It's a relief that sin will be judged finally. And He's telling the details of how He's going to do it. There's going to be Antichrist. There's going to be the false prophet. There are going to be the true, two true prophets. There's going to be 144,000 witnesses. Two witnesses, right? They're going to spread and people are going to be saved. There's going to be a revival during the worst time ever in mankind's history. And I tell you and rejoice in that, folks. And he says this is going to happen until it's fulfilled. God's purpose all the way to the time that Christ comes back. It's His purpose. It's His will. And then he says, The woman whom you saw is the great city which reigns over the kings of the earth. Now, we're getting ready to go into 18. What's happening here? What's the great city? Well, you could say, well, that's you just told us it was Jerusalem. Well, we also have another great city. Remember the second most mentioned city as I introduced earlier? What is it? Babylon. Babylon the Great. It's, we saw the religious aspect in the first six verses. Now we've covered Antichrist, 
and all that entails, and the destruction that He gives to the religion. And now we're going to see the fall of Babylon the Great. Normally I would say, come back next week. <laughs> but uh, we've got a few minutes. Got a lot of minutes, but I'm not going to take a lot of time on this 18. We're going to read, and I might stop here and there to, to talk about it. Um, it's commercial Babylon. It is also political Babylon. If you have a religious Babylon, has its roots in Babylon, but it went to Rome, and we know what all happens at Rome, right? One of the chief cities in all the Bible and all the world. I think that takes place. You have Jerusalem in the end times. It's really a major city, and there's one other one called Babylon. Are you saying that there's going to be the city, Babylon, that's rebuilt? I will tell you that there is a city with walls there that actually has been built. I think there's a lot more to come in that city. I think it's going to expand to be a great city. And we'll get into that as we look into chapter 18. We're just going to move right on into this. You guys ready? Because it so ties in with 17. And if the people say, what happened to 18? I wasn't here last week. And you can say, you have to listen to it on audio. So you can tell them that. <laughs> I think it's still running, right? Yeah. We've taken 45 minutes. I usually take about an hour. If I take 15 minutes, we can get out of here before 1130. Is that a first? Well, amazing. Here we go. After these things, I saw another angel coming down from heaven. John's saying this. He goes, wow. How would you like to see all this? I saw another angel. Having great authority and the earth was illumined with His glory. Uh, who knows, this could be where it's just black. Remember? And He comes down and He says this. And he cries out. He illumines this place. A great angel. He cried out with a mighty voice saying, Fallen! Fallen is Babylon the Great. At the very moment that he's coming back, he's almost saying it in past tense. What he's saying is this is good as done. Fallen is Babylon. Now, the, the world religion is already fallen. Now the other part of Babylon is going to be fallen. She has become a dwelling place of demons and a prison of every unclean spirit and a prison of every unclean and hateful bird. For all the nations have drank the wine of the passion of her immorality. Remember the, uh, the woman and dealing with the religion and the immorality and that was means the kings cavorted with all of this, right? And so did just all the people. The kings of the earth have committed acts of immorality with her. They joined in. And the merchants of the earth have become rich by the wealth of her sensuality. So, this world religion 
gives a boost to all of the economy, to everybody, the whole world joining this. What a world religion. And now it comes out and, of course, overrides ultimately this religion. And it becomes a world of great commerce. A one world government. A one world system. Financial system. Everything. And it really looks like it's really doing good. I think for that to happen, that there will be a collapse in the economies of the world. There will be a need for an Antichrist to come in and a common purpose, religion, and then everything just blossoms out as we'll look at this. Now I heard another voice from heaven saying, Come out of her, my people, so that you will not participate in her sins and receive of her plagues. This is a plea to, let's say, to Israel. Come out of her, my people. You're about to... to and this can go back before... This can even be a warning to now. You can make an application to that. Get out of that world. Flee the world. There is judgment to come. Flee for the wrath of God is to come. Get out of that beautiful world. It looks so good. feels so good. It's the thing to do. So, original Babylon gave birth to a city-state. It was all of Babylon, you remember? A country that was huge, but yet there was the city of Babylon where Babel had started. So Babylon is a city, but it's also a state. Nimrod created a lot of those cities. He's got them going. This material greed now exposes what man is driven by. Money, possessions, all the material wealth and such. And that's going through the whole tribulation time period. A matter of wealth. Babylon has affected all the nations, not only religiously, but economically, governmentally, because that's where religion not only came from, but political and uh, the wealth that they had. Babylon was considered the gold head of that statue. And it was a city of gold. So Babylon, in the future, in the kingdom, very possibly, I do believe, will be the actual city of Babylon. If we could turn to Isaiah 13.20. Verse 19, In Babylon the glory of the Chaldeans' pride will be as when God overthrew Sodom and Gomorrah. And you can say that's already happened, right? Because the Medes and Persians came by. No, Babylon existed after that. The Greeks came by, right? They took over. Well, Babylon still existed. Romans, during the time of the early church, 
Babylon still existed. It wasn't the great city that it had been, but it existed. So the verse 20, it says, it will never be inhabited or lived in from generation to generation, nor will the Arab pitch his tent there, nor will shepherds make their flocks lie down there. Babylon was not destroyed. It's had people there. It's had tents and shepherds and people lived there ever since it was a ro- the uh, Babylonian Empire. And even when it got taken over, when was there not a time of Babylon? Peter spoke of Babylon in one of his epistles, or he might have been covering up Rome, and Rome was known as Babylon. So, and we've been going back and forth, Babylon and Rome. But I'm stressing the fact that I really believe that Babylon will be elevated to a great city and could very well be Saddam Hussein back in the 90s, uh, maybe late 80s, 90s, was rebuilding that city. He was really the reincarnation, he said, of Nebuchadnezzar. He had a coin that was made and he was on one side. And you think of Nebuchadnezzar and... So, um, what you have here is God saying it'll totally be destroyed. Well, Babylon has to become a great city, as Revelation here says, and I do believe that with what has already been built, it's pretty fascinating in our time. Uh, it could go on and on for a long time after this, but I will tell you, if you remember this, that all idolatrous religion all greed-based commerce, all secular government began in Babylon. Civilization began in that area. Why wouldn't it wind up being there and destroyed? God is saying Babylon represents everything the world is. So at the end time, what happens, it's culminating with all of mankind and what He really is. This is what the world is about. It's what they live for. So He says, come out of her, my people. And I think this would be a directive to us. Come out of anything that would be worldly. Don't you think that that helped? We always should be desiring to be separate from the worldly principles. We live in the world, but not uh, we're not of the world, are we? For her sins have piled up as high as heaven. And so God says, it's time now. I've let it just pile up. I've let Babylon be Babylon all this time. I'm going to finally destroy it and nobody will ever live there again. During the time of of the thousand year millennial kingdom, there won't be any Babylon because its name is a stench. We know what it represents, don't we? And God has remembered her iniquities. Pay her back even as she has paid. And give back to her double according to her deeds in the cup which she has mixed, mixed twice as much for her, going to be doubly judged of all she has done to the degree that she glorified herself and lived sensually to the same degree give her torment and mourning. For she says in her heart, I sit as a queen and I am not a widow 
and we'll never see morning. This world is trying to do what the world has never done before and they come up with plans like climate control. They want to save the earth. They're going to make it the best world ever and everything that we believe in is a stench to them and they want to get rid of all of that. For this reason, and one day her plagues will come, pestilence and mourning and famine, and she'll be burned up with fire. For the Lord God who judges her is strong. He is strong. It's going to come to an end, folks. We all know that. We know the back of the book, don't we? It's one of the reasons why we became Christians. Because we wanted to go to heaven. Why do we want to go to heaven? Because it's really cool there and it's nice, great weather. Yeah, but that's not really the ultimate reason. No, we go there because Christ is there. Wherever He's at, that's where I want to go because I know where He goes, it's going to be perfect. And that's really what He has planned. He's saying, in the meantime, you're wondering why there has been sin. Well, here, I'm going to show you I'm going to judge it ultimately. This kind of worldly system... It's gone. The world finally gets back together as one, folks. And now this time, whenever the world is judged, <clears throat> the world religion is already gone. Antichrist even did that. He destroys everything. So he destroys that religion. And so then at that time, God says, okay, here it comes. Verse 9. Oh, by the way, Verses 5 through 8. The righteous God of heaven does not overlook sin. He never has, and He never will. And even us as believers, we know our sin has been paid for, but do we take that lightly? Do we say, it's okay, my sin's been paid for, so I can continue to do this, it's alright, it's God's will anyway. Never, never, ever say that. May it never be. Yeah, again and again. We do not have the luxury to just keep on sinning because God has already paid for our sins. And then the, I would question, is one really a believer then? The commercial, social, political system of the world at that time is going to receive double judgment. Fallen, fallen is Babylon. Babylon is devoid of human life. It'll be burned with fire. It'll be destroyed in one hour very quickly. Boy, in one hour to burn a majestic city. It's going to be huge. It's going to be like the capital of the world politically and economically here. That is the And we just saw it. He says, I'm going to burn it. All the plagues. Verse 9. And what we're going to see now is as we develop this, a great list of produce and, and trade of the earth. The kings of the earth who committed acts of immorality and lived essentially with her will weep and lament over her. They're the very ones that say, we'll never, or no, we, 
Look, we're making this world better. You hear that all the time. The world is better than it ever has been before. And the Bible says it'll wax worse. <clears throat> it's waxing worse. It will get better. Your best life is going to be when Christ comes back. Amen. I don't want to live in this war-torn world like it is now. They will weep and lament over her when they see the smoke of her burning. Oh, it's so grand, so luxurious, so glorious this city is. Standing at a distance because of the fear of her torment, saying, Woe, woe. That's something when you hear woe, woe. Woe to you, scribes, Pharisees, hypocrites. Here, uh, we, we've already gotten... Um, Fallen, fallen is Babylon. Here we have woe, woe. The great city, Babylon, the strong city, <clears throat> becomes tremendously strong, amazing place. For in one hour, your judgment is gone. You are judged quickly. That's, it will not take hardly anything. God can just do like that. Sodom and Gomorrah mentioned, didn't it? Here we go. And the merchants of the earth weep and mourn over her because no one buys their cargoes anymore. Cargoes of gold starts with the top. Most precious. Silver. Precious stones. Pearls. And fine linen. And purple. And silk. And scarlet. And every kind of citron wood. Every article of ivory and every article made from very costly wood and bronze and iron and marble. Look what the Antichrist and the false prophet and the kings of this earth did. They put it all together and they made this city just tremendous and all the great produce that comes out of it. Cinnamon and spice and incense and perfume that goes out over all the world frankincense and wine and olive oil and fine flour and wheat and cattle and sheep and cargoes of horses and chariots and slaves and human lives. In the Roman Empire, one-third of the empire, understand, if it wasn't more, were slaves. They talk about slaves today and they look at it derogatory and it kind of is, but, <clears throat> you know... Um, you have a teaching that's trying to go into the schools, is going into the schools. President Trump tried to take it out of the schools and out of the government and places in Texas. They are taking it out. And um, it's called critical race theory. And I'm mentioning this because I was listening to a show last night and he says, who's going to tell you these things? Well, you're not going to get it from our government because they're going to say this exact opposite. You're not going to get it from anybody else unless they know truth. And says you, the, you need to be able to get this or this backing. You probably already know about it, you know, because you've gotten it from Christian sources. So you're going to get it out of the Christian sources from the social medias. You also need to get it from the church. And I said, you know, that's right. And I think all along we've been talking about it, whether it be from the pulpit or just, you know, 
just talking with each other, but we don't make it our main focus, do we? It's pretty rare that we really get into it. Because if we turn on the news all the time, and even Christian news and stuff, after a while it starts getting very angry probably, and I have to watch that really. Um, but it is interesting to, to at least talk about these things and then say, okay, this is what's happening. And it gets things into perspective. But the critical race theory really is turning things around. It's where the white people have always been privileged, the black people were put down. And so now there needs to be reparations. White people need to be playing the black people because we've taken advantage of them. I didn't have anything to do with slavery. Did any of you guys? No. Um, neither does any person of our time deal with has dealt with slavery. There's a few oddball people, but as a whole, there's there's no race problem in this. It's created by people who talk about that there's a race problem, and all of a sudden you do have it, and and then you have shootings and killings. And what it is, it is one people that are black that kill blacks, and whites kill whites. For the most part, that's the way what really happens. But what do they do? They bring out the, you know, take the money from the cops, you know, defund the police and that kind of thing. And uh, so they can go on killing their own people, their own neighborhoods. Are you kidding me? Lawlessness. Uh, my, I don't think there's ever been a time where, where you've seen families killing families. Uh, it's unheard of. People killing their kids, kids killing their parents and their own neighborhoods, their own relatives and what have you, and husbands and wives, and you just go on and on. That's It's called sin. It's not a race problem. But anyway, it goes back to this, that really you need to be unprivileged, and now you need to experience what black people experienced, and you deserve to be down, and you need to worship, really, anybody that is black. And that is being put forth in our schools, in our governments, uh, throughout seminars are being taught. That's what's been taught for quite some time, the Black Lives Matter. That's what that's all about. It all comes together as one. And we kind of spent a couple of weeks on that in our Bible study way back about uh, a year ago. And Vadi uh, Bakum I got a lot from, and he's a fellow Christian. And I, I don't even like to say, hey, he's he's a black pastor, but I say that saying, see, he's telling it. And he comes from that angle. He was one of them in the sense he was out in the streets. And he had quite a horrendous background. But I think he had a praying mother, and but God is what it's all about. But he explains what's going on here. Now, I think you all get that, but do you see how that really goes on and how that all puts into place? I put that in there to say whatever is black and white to us is turned totally upside down and the thinking is absolute opposite almost everything that you believe. It, It seems unbelievable, whether it be you know, a boy wants to be a girl, a girl wants to be a boy, and they can make that decision however young they are. And, um, you know, they're, they're ruined for life. And come find out that most of them commit suicide. 80% they've done in studies. But they don't tell you that, do they? That, that, that 
kills people. They don't care. They don't have any value on life. Only their own. It's all about self. To be real honest with you, these people really are not for a better world. They're for a better position so they can get more money and it's for them. They are their own God. It's not so much about that pagan idolatry. It's really about me. I am God. That's the idea. That's the lie. That's the proudness of it all. The pride and so. Here we go. As we see all of these things. And I, I got on this on, on the slaves. I think at that time people will be slaves. And most people won't get to get in on most of these niceties. It's the ruling elite at the very top. That's why they are doing what they want to be those people. And when some of them are leading and they're in their 80s, I'm thinking, this, you, yeah, you're not even going to be around when this happens. What are you doing? Why are you wasting all your time? Because they hate. But you know what? God could save them. So, be a good prayer for those people. That's kind of what we're supposed to do, isn't it? Pray for them. Here we go. The fruit you long for has, in verse 14, has gone from you. And all things that were luxurious and splendid have passed away from you, and men will no longer find them. <clears throat> the merchants of these things who became rich from her will stand at a distance because of the fear of her torment Weeping and mourning. The city is going up in flames. Everything of value is destroyed. This is in the very last moments. Woe, woe, the great city. She who was clothed in fine linen and purple and scarlet adorned with gold and precious stones and pearls. For in one hour, such great wealth has been laid waste. There is no way that anything can be destroyed that quick unless God does it. And every shipmaster and every passenger and sailor and as many as make their living by the sea, they're the ones who are shipping this stuff all over the world, stood at a distance and somehow they get news of, of what is happening. They're crying out as they saw the smoke of her burning saying, What city is like the great city? And they threw dust on their heads and were crying out, weeping and mourning. This was their life. It's all destroyed before them. Woe, woe, the great city in which all who had ships at sea became rich by her wealth. For in one hour she has been laid waste. One hour, one hour, very quickly. Rejoice over her, O heaven. And you saints, and apostles, and prophets, because God has pronounced judgment for you against her. We see that the world is finally defeated. <clears throat> Did you see the, the promise there in 20? Rejoice over this. Rejoice what's going to happen. Now, we'll close it out. <coughs> then a strong angel took up a stone, like a great millstone, threw it into the sea, saying, So will Babylon, the great city, be thrown down with violence, 
whether it's that city or it's representing the whole world, and it really is. It's def I think it's both there, but whatever. If it's not that little city that's now Babylon and doesn't go into a big city, then it, it's still okay. God's going to judge all of this material world. Be thrown down with violence and will not be found any longer. It will all be done. Now we've heard about that. Here's the finish of it. And this is what God promised whenever He, he was back in Isaiah when we read that. Or in Jeremiah 50 uh, and 51. It speaks about Babylon. 22, and the sound of harpists and musicians and flute players and trumpeters. The world has to have music, doesn't it? He's going to destroy that kind of music. Flute players, trumpeters will not be heard in you any longer. No craftsman or any craft will be found in you any longer. No life there. It's taken totally out. And the sound of a mill will not be heard in you any longer. No building. The light of a lamp will not shine in you any longer. It will be dark. And the voice of the bridegroom and bride... Are you ready? That's us. The bride will not be heard in you any longer. For your merchants were the great men of the earth. Because all the nations were deceived by your sorcery or pharmakeia or drugs that has been pushed on all the world. You can think of all the drugs that have been synthetically made here in Jefferson City, here in Missouri. Destroys people. Destroys their lives. They're deceived by it. It's the biggest industry there is in all the world. Pharmacia, drugs. Whether it be legal, or illegal. What in the world is the cartel bringing over the borders legally? I do believe that the government leaders that we have now are wanting that to happen and to destroy that many more lives. You see, Satan is into destroying. And in her was found the blood of prophets and of saints and of all who have been slain on the earth. People who were persecuted were killed. They were martyrs. They were prophets that God sent. People became believers during that time and they were killed. This system, Babylon, came to be the one world government is responsible for doing that. They're doing it now across the world. They've always been doing that, but this is God judging. And that gives us a good note, doesn't it? Strength for today. Pride hope for tomorrow. We need strength. We have all the hope we need. Don't compromise with Babylon, the world. Don't give allegiance to Babylon. In 18.4 it says, Come out of her, my people. Because one day, all false religion, all false government, all false economies will be destroyed. That is good news. 
I can't wait. Come quickly, Lord Jesus. Father, thank You for Your Word and Your truth that's just been given. And we know that when Christ comes back, it's said right here in our text that we read today, we will be with Him. We will be saints that are glorified, coming back in judgment. That judgment, when Christ comes back, will be instantly. Everything will be done. And then Christ will start to set up that kingdom that we also look forward to. Lord, it's time of great joy. It says to rejoice, saints. And we do have good news. Help us realize that constantly and to bear that news to the lost and to live for You. Your glory be seen. In Jesus' name, Amen. Amen.